everyone, and welcome to this EY podcast, which brings to life the insights from EY's recent research into the global fintech ecosystem. The research contained in EY's Moving Mountains and Moving Mainstream report was commissioned by Innovate Finance and City of London. The report looks at how the UK compares to eight different markets around the world, and it's got heaps of great insights into leading practices across these influential global markets. And as a report, it, it's also essentially an ambition on EY's part to challenge policymakers, regulators, investors, banks, and even the fintechs themselves to drive even greater innovation and inclusion in financial services in the UK. Now, the research shows that the fintech industry has an established track record of helping improve the financial well-being of consumers and SMEs. But the challenge now really is about scale and reach. And as we record this podcast, we're still dealing with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's clear that the financial impacts on consumers and SMEs will continue to be wide ranging, which is why we are particularly pleased that the research will be leveraged in the government review of the fintech sector, which was launched officially on the 20th of July 2020. So the focus of this podcast is moving beyond London and beyond fintech. As part of this, we'll be focusing on two themes that have emerged from our research. Firstly, exploring how to support and develop regional fintechs right across the UK. And secondly, building digital innovation in an integrated environment. My name is Anita Kimber. I'm a partner at EY based out of London. But today I'm actually recording from my home in Bristol, looking at some glorious sunshine. I focus on digital and innovation across financial services with a particular focus on SMEs. I'm joined today by my colleague, Hemant Shirsagar, our fintech leader in EY India, and by Mark Hartley, joint founder of Bankify, a European fintech startup that offers modern technology SME services to banks, enabling them to go beyond an open experience and offer the right services to help SMEs manage their businesses. Gentlemen, welcome. Now, in our research, we've come across a real focus and trend for regionalization of fintech hubs, to coin a phrase. The US is a great example where we've seen hubs emerging in partnerships with universities and industries. So let me start with you, Mark. I know you work out of Manchester and you're committed to regional growth. Noting the government's manifesto pledge of levelling up the north, what, what do you think needs to be done to support fintechs across the whole of the UK especially in places like Manchester, Birmingham, Cardiff and Edinburgh? Or if I put my black hat on, is fintech in the UK designed to, uh, destined to be London-centric? Thanks, Anita. Hi. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's a, a very good question. Um, and absolutely not. I don't think fintech is uh, destined to be very London-centric. Um, but in order to make sure that that doesn't happen and that the regions get a fair crack of the whip, I think it's really important that um, we bring three or four things together um, instead of having um, individual aspects that are looked at. And, and I think um, those aspects that need to be brought together are, are we need to harness the wonderful education establishments that we have um, regionally uh, outside of London. So if I look at my hometown of Manchester, we've got two world-class universities in, in Manchester itself and others um, uh, in, in the city of Salford and places like Liverpool, Newcastle, Durham, Leeds have all got wonderful universities that offer fantastic courses and I think we need to harness them. 
The second thing that I think is really important is that um, the access to finance and capital, um, particularly for startup and early stage companies, needs to be mirrored outside of London into the regions. Um, speaking from experience, raising capital um, to help your business grow in the regions um, is very, very much more difficult um, than it is um, if you if you seek the capital from from London. And I, and I think the third and final thing um, is that um, government uh, needs to really help and get involved with policy um, and make it easier um, and better for um, for the regions to to flourish uh, in the fintech community the same way it has in London. And, and I think to do that, we need some form of overarching body. Um, at the moment, we have a number of organisations that do a, a really good job. So. Innovate Finance, um, uh, Tech North um, are two examples of that. But I think we need to really bring all of these aspects together and create some form of umbrella um, that, that works um, on those three really, really important aspects. So bringing the, the educational establishments together to, to create the talent, having access to the right finance and the patient finance that understand the space, and really central government and local government combining to create policy um, that makes it easier and incentivizes fintechs to start up in the different regions. I'd really I'd like to come back to both of those points on capital um, policy. Um, but before we do that, can we just dig into education in particular? And, and you're obviously as an area you're obviously passionate about but that needs to be pragmatic and it needs to be brought to life. How do you, how in your view do we need to, to make that real and, and make that connection with business? So I think um, there are a couple of things. Um, there's a there's a clue in the in the word fintech. Um, so that's a combination of um, financial services and technology. Um, I'm very pleased to say that my two hometown universities have um, established courses at both the undergraduate level and postgraduate level in fintech. Um, so both uh, the Manchester Business School and the Alliance Business School have um, uh, MBA uh, modules and in fact a full-blown MBA on fintech. Um, but from what I can see at the moment they are very much oriented and focused on the on the financial services aspect of the of, of fintech. Um, there's less of a focus on the technical or the technology aspects of it. And I think what we need to see is a bringing together of those two things so that we have courses that and modules that are offered to both um, business oriented people that, that cross into the technology sector and equally the technology courses that cross over into the financial services side of things. Uh, I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, having founded a couple of businesses before and and, and doing Bankify, I think that the importance is to have a, a you know your 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 founding team needs to have an understanding of the domain that you're in, which is the financial services, and you need to have the technology and the understanding of of how that technology can be used to enhance, change, or disrupt um, the current models within within financial services. So I think it's really important to get a, a, a balance um, around those two key aspects. Thanks, Mark. Hemant, if I could turn to you, Mark talked passionately about education, as we just heard, but also about access to capital and government involvement. 
Um, now, clearly in India, we've seen a huge amount of investment that's gone into India's digital space in recent times. For those listeners who perhaps aren't as familiar, can you just give us a flavor of what some of those investments have been? Thanks, Anita. Uh, that's a great question. In fact, in last about 10 years, there has been a significant government investment uh, for developing the digital infrastructure as far as fintech and financial services is concerned. And it has been according to a very thought through strategy, which is called India Stack, uh, which has four layers. The bottom layer is the presence-less layer, which is the unique digital biometric identity, which has been built, which is called Aadhaar in India. Uh, which today covers 1.23 billion people, which is 99% of India's population. So that has been the coverage of Aadhaar. The next layer is the paperless layer, wherein the EKYC is happening based on Aadhaar and the government has also created a digital locker where all your documents can be saved in a digital format so that it can be given access to as and when required by an individual. The next layer is the cashless layer which has been developed by an organization called NPCI. It is National Payments Corporation of India, which has launched UPI, which is a unified payment interface. It's a real-time payment mechanism, which is being used to do cashless payments across the country. Yeah. The fourth layer is the consent layer, which has just been launched uh, some time back. It is called NBFC Account Aggregator. NBFC means uh, Non-Banking Financial uh, Corporation. So it's a special license wherein these providers will be able to take consent of the customer and then share their uh, financial services, personal data across financial services providers. So this has really changed the entire game as far as India is concerned uh, of, of, about building the digital infra in India. It's certainly impressive and well thought through, Hemant, and, and, and our own research backed that up. I'm interested what some of the benefits have been of that investment. Yeah, so if Anita, if you look at it, uh, when you talk about financial inclusion, two elements are very important, which is accessibility and, uh, and affordability. Now, if you see one of the key problems why the penetration of bank accounts was not enough in India is because a lot of people didn't have access to official documents. So that's where your Aadhaar has come in. Now, if you see on the back of Aadhaar, government launched a Jandhan account, which is a no-frills bank account, which now has a coverage of 300 million accounts, which has really changed the game uh, for India because the direct benefit transfer can directly go to that account. In addition to that, if you see the payments, which used to take a really, really long time, now can be done over it, right? So it has really pushed the financial inclusion as far as retail is concerned and also as far as the SME market is concerned. It's fascinating stuff. And Mark, I'd like to bring you back in here. You talked, um, one of your, your early points was around the need for government to get involved. Um, you talked about a centralised body and you talked about policy. So listening to Hemant there, what is your view around the role of government and policy, particularly in your space as you think about SMEs accessing the best digital banking products and services? Yeah, so I, th I think this is uh, an area that, that couldn't become um, more uh, under the microscope given the current um, unfortunate circumstances that the globe finds itself in, you know, not only in the UK, but, but everywhere, but just focusing on the UK and the regions in particular. Uh, I think um, from your own research at EY, I think there's, um, you, you quote in a recent, um, great document that you produced that there are six and a half million 
sole traders and micro businesses in the UK, um, a micro business being defined as, a, as an organization with less than 10 employees. Um, that makes up something like 99% of all private companies um, in the in the UK. And, and so, you know, that those organizations are, are, are obviously going through a lot of difficulty and, and struggling at the moment. So which is what, why I mean that, that we're probably under the microscope even more than than would be in normal sets of circumstances. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you look at fintech and you look at um, startup and early stage businesses, um, a lot of the government stimulus packages that have been put out there actually miss um, businesses. Um, you, you know, like the fintech startup early stage businesses, you know, and in the in the recent chancellor's budget, um, th that was a, an area where you know we were going to focus on and need to focus on as a, a, you know as the UK as a whole to make sure that um, this industry that we've created um, we we continue to be at the forefront of it globally. So to help the regions, I'd like to see some creative and and um, radical policy actually um, and i think they should look at things like um setting up um government backed um vc funds or vc type funds that are are, are often or, or should be in the public um sector so the models of things like convertible loan note instruments where um public money um is either loaned to startup uh, companies or 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 they or they that's converted into equity at a later stage and you know there are initiatives around from the British Business Bank that that sort of offer similar types of models, but I think they need to go further. I think there needs to be incentivization potentially at, at scenarios like um, grants um, that Innovate UK offer lots of very interesting grants, but there's no um, uh, assistance or bias, if that's the right, or positive discrimination, if that's the right te terminology to say that they should be skewed to actually more regional businesses. I think we could do things around corporation tax and um, why not have a lower corporation tax for for companies in in the north of the country or in or in the west uh, or the or corridors outside of the southeast and london we could do things around national insurance contributions being lower so to really incentivize people um to start up businesses and and continue to create those businesses in in the regions you know i mean if you look at um, the universities in, in, in the north of England, particularly, you know, Manchester has the highest level of applications to um, the universities in, in the whole of Europe. Um, why don't these people want to stay here afterwards? Maybe it's because the jobs aren't there or businesses aren't here. So I think there's an awful lot government policy can do to help people that come here to be educated and and further their you know their their, their education and 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 then incentivize them to stay here and to do that i think you have to have regional policy whether that be at central government and or local government level that really encourages and incentivizes um businesses to start in the regions and um you know that has to be at a financial level so you have to incentivize those businesses to attract the talent um in the first place and, and retain that talent moving forward so, Helen, you, you've heard from Mark that absolute passion about the need to focus on the regions and bring bring both um, capital and policy to life in a, in, at a local level. And clearly in India, you, you're a vast country with a vast population. And, and that focus at the local level is clearly important, too. 
So can you bring to life how India's focus on digitization has impacted at a local level? So if you look at it, uh, what we call it is innovation for Bharat. Bharat is the Hindi term that we use for India. And the impact has been very visible. If you see at UPI, which I talked about, and we expected it to push digital payments. Today, last month, March 2020, there were about 1.25 billion transactions on that platform, amounting to $27 billion. Now, those are not, not just numbers. If you, low, you go below that, you would see that earlier, a daily wage earner who is working in, say, Mumbai, which is a city, and earning certain amount and transferring that amount back home in a rural sector. Earlier, when he was using a non-formal methodology to transfer that money, he was actually losing a day's wage to just transfer the money. The costs were really high. And then when the money reached the bank account in his hometown, his family was also losing a day's wage, traveling to a bank branch to take that amount out. Now, using UPI, that money is getting transferred immediately for zero cost. That's a massive, massive impact at the ground level, at the local level. Now, the question is, on some things, to look at the impact, we have to do a study. But the impact of this in India is very, very visible when you start walking out. Look at this. When the COVID started, in fact, I forgot to withdraw amount, a cash. Now, I have been sitting at home for now 14 days, and I'm able to buy everything that I want just using digital payments, yeah? So if even if my coconut guy who delivers coconuts every day to my door, he's taking payments via Google Pay. So the innovation that the government did, which is building the infra and let the market build innovation over it, has, has had a really large, large impact. Now the situation is really unfortunate, but that digital infra is now coming into play. Now think of it, if now government has to push certain amount to the SMEs or to the rural sector workers who have lost their job and gone back home, Due to the Jandhan account and the UPI methodology, the government can push that amount directly to the account of that individual. And this has already saved a lot of money to the government in terms of direct benefit transfer. Earlier, if you see because of corruption, a lot of money which was being provided by government to the local level was not reaching them. And the example would be the LPG cylinder that we use in India. There was a subsidy on it. Today, what happens is the subsidy directly hits the bank account of the person. That way, any loss that was happening when as the money moves through the different layers to that person is completely removed. And I think it is just going to improve because as the SMEs require more capital, the digital lending that has been built through which the lending could be provided to companies with thin file or no credit file is only going to increase. So there's massive impact at the local level, which uh, at this time is only going to be of much use. Helen, it's inspiring to hear the, the the real and tangible benefits of people saving a, a day's wage. Um, and, and also, I'm reassured that you, you still are able to buy your coconuts. That's fabulous news. Um, but just very briefly, just to finish off, if I may, um, how has security been covered? Are people comfortable in India that this um, national focus has been deployed safely and at scale? As digitization increases, uh, security has become uh, taken the center stage. It has become a boardroom topic. In fact, RBI recently, and it is coming up with multiple guidelines, it clearly came out saying that every financial services organization would require to have a cyber aware board or governance. They have requested each financial services to have continuous surveillance, and they have 
asked the organization to really protect the customer data which again comes into picture because india has got its personal data protection bill 2019 which is with the parliament for the review which is on the lines of what gdpr is which talks about data localization there are heavy penalties if you use con uh, lose consumer data you have to take consumer consent to transfer data to someone so there are multiple things which are embedded into the personal data protection bill which is only going to go uh, further in protecting the security and resilience of the organization in addition to that india as a structure as it went through the digital payments or digital transaction has been a place where security has taken a, a stage before innovation can take it so we have had a two factor authentication from the start even in fact risk based authentication is yet to completely get implemented and we have to use two factor authentication for every transaction that we do and mark do you see that that focus on security um from the smes that you serve in particular so yeah security is is always um of paramount um to everybody whether that's an sme or a, or a um an individual um and i think if i take the example of open banking and open finance it's critical that we solve the security problem and we educate and make customers aware of of the um the, the security around the open banking model So I think it's really important that that we don't have one organization that addresses the security factors. So I think it's it, the industry collectively needs to come together and 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 make sure that that happens. So we often hear questions around whether fintechs or big techs or banks offer the most secure services and I don't think there's um any one organization that um necessarily has the answer to that question. I think that this is all about collaboration. and it's about creating trust and brand and it's about articulating the aspects of security in the way that people and businesses understand them i think within our industry we often get very um hooked on our jargon on acronyms and explaining things in in technical ways that don't necessarily mean anything to the general public or general businesses at large so i think it's really important that we we articulate um the benefits of of how open banking works in a secure manner um and let's not forget that the data is owned by the customer and or the business and it's up to um organizations within the ecosystem around open finance open banking to make sure that those customers um that will see great benefit from sharing their data understand that sharing the, their data is not a security risk uh, necessarily uh, it is uh, you know and it, it it's really incumbent on all of us to make sure that people understand that the security components around them sharing their data um, and having access to their bank account and making payments on their behalf is actually done so in in as as secure way as the bank doing it themselves um and therefore i think it's really important that we see collaboration between fintech banks big techs little techs um and making sure we articulate the value of of that sharing of data um in a way that people understand well thank you mark and heman that's been a fascinating insight into our two themes today of regionalization and digital infrastructure both across the uk and india and we've we've heard about digitization being brought to life at an, a local level in india in the context of that end to end policy agenda 
we've heard about positive regional focus for fintechs across the UK. Um, and those, those great examples of academia really stepping forward. Um, but we've also heard about the need to for access to capital in its various forms and various ways, and that focus on government policy. And we ended there with really strong agreement across both of you um, around a pragmatic focus on security anchored around consumers and SMEs. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to us today. If you have found this podcast interesting, please check out our other episodes and also check out EY's Moving Mountains and Moving Mainstream Research Report. Mm-hmm.